0: African leaders do have a say and should have a say in how their raw materials are being sold until we learn how to process and produce things in-house. We should form petroleum and energy hubs across the region. We should have an African market where we decide our supply and demand curves, where we decide what price to sell our products to within ourselves. We can do better trades. I give you gas, you give me gold. I give you gold, you give me refund products. We should have such negotiations among ourselves. Solar or the renewable resources are intermittent. And for me, I understand that the grid, the national grid of Africa is not ready for intermittent source of energy supply is it all about net zero is it all about co2 emission if it was about co2 emission then a continent that is emitting less than three percent should not be even be a talking point when you are being controlled by imf and world bank laura sorry you are not independent and that's where we find ourselves when you you are given money by obeying their philosophy. So you even plan a policy, you cannot implement it because your funder doesn't like it. How many African countries are able to stand on their feet? We are getting there as, as a continent. I praise the African countries that, that are stepping ahead with the, with, the, with the principle of understanding that they need to first be independent before their own policies that they are setting will be allowed to materialize.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Africa Dialogues. I'm your host, Laura Chikonya, and here we explore the big stories and trends transforming the continent today, told by decision-makers, thinkers, and doers. Today's guest is Riverson Opong commercial manager in charge of economic modelling, risk management and policy planning at the Ghana National Gas Company, adjunct lecturer at Ghana Communication Technology University, visiting lecturer at the University of Cape Coast and the Ghana Institute of Management and Public Administration, as well as chairperson of the Ghana section of the Society of Petroleum Engineers. Riverson holds a PhD in economics, with particular focus on international oil and gas management. In addition, he serves as an advisor to African governments in building more resilient energy strategies, currently playing dynamic roles in Ghana's Energy Sector Recovery Program and Energy Transition Technical Committee. Riverson and I discuss the three key factors to cure energy poverty in Africa. Why the AFCFTA, or AFTA, and the African Union are not living up to their potential. How to ensure FDI serves local interests and why additional value chains can help Africans free themselves from the Dutch disease curse. Here's our conversation. It's such a pleasure to have you on the Africa Dialogues podcast. Welcome.
0: Thank you so much, Laura. Good to see you.
1: So today we are going to touch upon a subject that we have not yet spoken about on on the podcast. We've discussed energy security. We touched upon the South African situation. We spoke about nuclear. And today, we're going to speak about oil and gas, and you're the best guy for the job. So if you're ready, let's jump into the conversation. Let's do it. Perfect. So I think the first question is a bit of a philosophical one, but I think it's a very good starting point for this conversation. And it's about the pressure that's being put on Africa today in its green transition. And I think everyone understands that this is a very important goal in general, but many African countries today are struggling to provide electricity altogether. So within this context, what is your view of the role of oil and gas in the continent's energy transition in the short, medium, and long-term?
0: Thank you so much. I think I've also personally spent the past two years to research into this topic. Most of my publications and conference participation has either been local content for energy transition staff for Africa. Uh, luckily for me, I also sit on the Energy Transition Committee here in Ghana. So where I, I, I help the government of the country uh, to cut all sources of plans to net zero, okay? To ask your question, I need to let you understand the foundation and the fundamental principles underlining this whole global energy transition, okay? People are misled, it's like, hey, you need to transition now, or move from from this sort of fuel to the other. And uh, ideally, the transition here has to do with the fuel source for energy, okay? And that the CO2 emission. That is why you hear net zero. So net zero does not mean that you should move from one source of energy to the other. The zero simply means your emission and your mitigation should amount to zero. So in other words, zero means emission minus mitigation should be equal to zero. That is why if you are privy to what the Nigerian energy transition plan and what the Ghana transition plan is, we have mitigation plans because we cannot we we cannot not emit. So in other words, emission is inevitable. All right. And this is not just to take you back. And uh, even globally, you realize that the energy industry emits about 70%. For emission of CO2, we have from agriculture as well. We have from waste. We have from industry. So the question I ask myself is, is it all about net zero? Is it all about CO2 emission? If it was about all about CO2 emission, then a continent that is emitting less than 3% should not be even be a talking point. As a matter of fact, a continent that has less than 50% accessibility to energy should not be an issue, okay? But we understand that this thing is not about the transition itself. It's not just about CO2. And for me, I feel that this energy transition is, is more or less like the COVID. The COVID. And when I say COVID, I say, I, I say this in regards of when you go to the airport, you've been asked to social distance yourself, right? You don't sit on the next seat. There should be two seats between the two of you. But Laura, ask yourself, when you when you enter into the plane, what happens? You sit together, you even take off your mask, and you eat. And you can say, hello, neighbor. But that close margin. This, for me, is a paradox. It's not real, and it's not logical. Right. So we all understand the Paris Agreement on Climate Change, reduction of global emissions. That that's the first niche. And then the COP 26, that's a call for action, came in in Paris as well, and recent one last year in uh in, in Egypt to increase investment in green energy initiatives. Uh Laura, believe it or not, the sun has the capacity to produce energy for the whole world for a year plus in a second but to tap into it is the issue all right when you go to the earth crust now we call something that geothermal energy which kenya is highly proactive on that the earth crust equally have so much energy to give to us to replace the fossil fuel but it's too so expensive the sea tidal energy or the tidal wave. Our own rivers and lakes can also give us what you call the hydro energies. And all these are renewables, okay? I'll be diving through very fast to take you through how our energy looks like in Ghana. We have almost uh, 60% on, on thermal and this thermal is gas to power. So indeed, If gas has been announced by Europe as a transition fuel, so when you say a transition fuel, what it simply means is that it's taking over from coal and crude oil. These are the heavier hydrocarbons. The three hydrocarbons that we know are coal, crude oil, and the gas. Coal giving the highest emission, crude oil, the less, and gas much lesser. So if we have that contributing to almost 60%, about 55% in Ghana, and 40% coming from hydro. Hydro, again, is renew- also renewable. But now, the we you have a renewable, it's all about solar and wind. No, geothermal is is renewable, right? We tap into it. But Ghana, as we see, in terms of capacity generation, here I'm talking about electricity, right? but the are all sorts of energy, right? We are not doing bad. We generate more than 100% of the capacity we need. When we talk about accessibility, we are about 85% as compared to the global African wave of 40%. Africa in total is doing 40, 40% accessibility of electricity to its uh, population. When it comes to cost, Ghana is doing roughly about 6 cents per kilowatt, which is not bad as compared to Mali and Kenya and even Senegal, which are doing around 25 plants. So in other words, I've just told you about three main things that Ghana is looking at, which will answer your question. What is the role of hydrocarbon in our long term, even our mid term, and even our low term. For me, my principle is this. We need to redefine energy sustainability. I know about the energy trialing, accessibility, affordability, and the sustainability. Forget it. Let's redefine sustainability. Sustainability is the ability to keep something running. And for me to keep my energy sustainable, three keys I'm looking at is availability. the most important thing for me the second one is affordability all right and it's accessibility if it's available and accessible but i cannot afford sorry i'm not fighting any energy poverty here in this country if it's affordable but yet it's not accessible there's no point you get my point so looking at the, the electricity mix now we have gas to power we have hydro and we have solar in it. Is it affordable relatively to other African countries? I'll say yes. Then believe me, Africa or Ghana as a nation, we are fighting energy poverty in a way. You have seen the impact or influence of hydrocarbon in our electricity mix. All right, it's, it's, it's the highest one, 55%. even globally, still crude oil and gas, are playing much bigger roles in the energy mix. Let's come to transportation. Disregarding the fact that transportation is the highest contributor of CO2 emission globally, regionally, nationwide, it's the same case for Africa, same case for Ghana as well. It is one of the highest demand for energy because I'll give a typical example or a typical case scenario. The future energy outlook, not only for Ghana alone, is driven by three factors. One, the the rising demand, energy security, and environment. The first pointer or the first lever for driving the rise in demand in energy today is the population growth. By 2050, it is expected that the whole population of the global world should be 9.8 billion people. That is about 2.5 billion more than today. The second point is the economic growth or what I call the more affluent society. Laura, it's not a joke. When I was a baby, when when I was a kid, five to 10 years, my dad had only one car and had a motorbike and a bicycle. We only saw this car on Sundays when we go to church. This car was parked in the garage. It comes out as a God. We clean it, we worship it, take it to church. We come back go back to the garage i have three cars in my house today that is the economic growth that is the more affluent society i cannot even count the number of times i have traveled this year so many times and the 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 vessels or the aeroplanes i've been picking are using energy so you see the the transportation sector is coming in here i want to drive to the, the shortest possible point ever in my life. My dad will use bicycle. I will use my car because I can afford to buy the fuel. So two points I've, I've risen here. Due to population growth and economic growth, there's a rising demand. Now let's go to energy security. Easy oil getting scarce. I was in Russia when exxonmobil drilled its first Arctic well. That was 2013 or 2014. I remember very well. We've moved from onshore to offshore. We've moved from even shallow waters to deeper waters, into even ultra deeper waters to seek for resources. So if you remember in 2013, almost every conference was discussing the peak oil. For me, this is is where the fight started. The world was made to believe that oil is finishing. The world was made to believe that oil age was coming to an end. It did not succeed. And now, what is coming up post 2016 is energy transition. Renewables and conventionals are coming in. Geopolitics are setting in. So, Russia or UAE or Middle, Middle East are allowed or are forced to cut supply. So, double the energy, using twice as much energy. As now 10 times more than energy that we do from renewable as well, from all over. So security of supply. Let's remember that solar or the renewable resources are intermittent. And for me, I understand from let's point of view that the grid, the national grid of Africa is not ready for intermittent source of energy supply. Now, the environment is where the energy transition coming. Dominance of hydrocarbons, carbon emission, and climate change. is a climate change that is affecting our future energy outlook. So if you ask me, how does a future energy outlook, and what is the role of crude oil, and even gas, because they're hydrocarbons, the role of them in the future energy outlook, this is what I will tell you. It is not so specific. But I'm giving you what we are doing today. I'll conclude by saying never before has humanity faced such a challenging outlook, even globally, not even only to Ghana. We all saw what happened in Europe when gas from Russia was cut there. Around July 2022 to September, Europe realized the highest ever cost of electricity, right? So this is telling you that... My three A's. I'm talking about the accessibility, before availability and affordability is key. As far as my electricity mix or my energy mix is available, it's accessible and it's affordable. We have no issue.
1: I like the the concept of the three A's that you mentioned, and not to put you on the spot and to just jump in with probably a, a huge existential question that all Africans and just people globally are facing today but how does Africa provide itself with those 3 A's so what's the what's the recipe what's the what's the solution and is this something that should be solved on the national level or do you see the African Union you know the African Development Bank and all of the regional organizations working together and and playing the most important role who spearheads the solution?
0: All right. Um, Thank you so much for for this most important question. And um, this is the issue. Africa is very ambitious. Africa is very optimistic. I believe that Africa will rise one day and understand the importance of solving energy poverty. There is an outlook that we have put on our face that by 2050, we should achieve a regional accessibility of more than 90%. Today we are doing around 40%. I was in Ethiopia just recently, so much resources. Labor, we have it. Natural resources, we have it. Why can't you make Africa a continent that we all want to see? I believe that the whole Africa needs to come together. The solution is not in any country's hands. This is where I call on AFTA. Today, AFTA boasts of the falla, they have policies to make sure that trade among ourselves work. AU was set up with the same purpose. Sorry to say it. I mean, AU, which was formed in the I mean, May 2001 in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, was set to encourage trade among African nations. This is not different from what AFTA is talking about now. It's not different, but has AU been successful? No. So what is a guarantee that AFTA will succeed? We are the best in terms of policy drafting. We can, we can set policies easily. But when it comes to implementation, that's where the problem is. Africa needs to come together. All these summits in 2018, 2022-2010 AU Summit in Ababa, 2021 AU in Africa, CD launch in, uh, for the vaccine, 2022 leadership in, in Lusaka, they are, they are not what we need. It's not about the meetings, it's not about the conferences, it's about the action. We need actions. 20 years after AU, what have we done? Two or three years after implementation of after. What have we achieved? 55 member states, what have they done? If Ghana is over energy, electricity, and there's a deficit in Togo and Cote d'Ivoire and Burkina, our neighbors, what stops us from selling electricity to these countries to cure energy poverty? What stops us for having a regional consensus of electricity prices? Why will Ghana sign an LNG agreement with Shell when Equatorial Guinea is selling LNG to Europe? When Namibia is planning to sell LNG to Europe? When Nigeria has seven trains of LNG platforms, and here it's not the regasification but the liquefaction LNG plants, and Ghana is looking for LNG from Europe when Africa is supplying Europe. Now, it, I mean, you you also be sad to understand that more than 80% of the resources that we mine in Africa ends up in Europe, America, and, and Asia. However, we import almost 95% of petroleum products back to Africa. That doesn't make sense to you, Laura? ask yourself. You produce good oil. You said they put oil at $100. Then you go back and buy petrol and diesel at $450 per metaton. ton. You, you have just abolished the value chain. And for me, this is a sign to the whole world that Africa is already to transition. If Africa has built the biggest refinery in Africa, in Nigeria, then it tells me a lot that Africa is not transitioning anytime soon. From fossil fuel. Africa believes, and Ghana believes that is the time for us to amass resources in terms of wealth from our crude oil and our gas. 10 and 15 years ago, if any IOC, so IOC here means International Oil Company or EMP company, if, EMP, if any EMP company discovered gas, it would abandon abandon that reserve and move away from the country. But then now they are all coming back looking for gas. Why? Why should the West tell Africa what to mine and what not to mine? Why should the West tell us which products to produce and which are not to produce when we all know the importance of them? I believe in a just transition. But if Africa will come together and not just through these AUs and afters, and understand that movement across Africa for Africans remain expensive. And for me, the cost of an immigration delay continues to hinder progress. That, that's the first thing to, to, to solve. We also need to project confirmation, and no implementation remain a concern as far as collaboration between ourselves are concerned. Ghana imports cement from Nigeria. This cement comes through the road. It passes through Benin, Togo, and to Ghana. So in other words, Benin is a stopover, Togo is a stopover, and Ghana is the end user. But Benin and Togo still import cement from other countries from the (laughs) West. (laughs) So there isn't enough collaboration between ourselves. And remember, the francophone-speaking countries are still ruled by France. At least the English-speaking countries like ourselves, Ghana, and Nigeria, and the rest are a bit independent from British. But what about the rest? I will propose these four main uh, levers if you want to cure this cancer. I will I will push in for road network. There should be a solid road network within Africa that will connect the south of Africa to the north of Africa. Now, that's all the Western African corridors, just as you have in Europe. Gas delivery infrastructure. You may be wild to understand that there was a plan to build gas infrastructure. Here i mean, the gas pipeline from Nigeria all the way across the West Africa, but it ended in Ghana through Benin, Togo and Ghana. What happened? But then when Europe, was looking for gas from West Africa, we were able to sign a PID project implementation plan to construct a pipeline from Nigeria to Europe. But our own indigenous pipeline has been abolished. There should also be an African harmonized gas price. How can we live in Africa, produce gas in Africa, and sell gas among ourselves at a price Index to America, WTI Brent. For me, doesn't make sense. There should be an African Harmonized Gas Price, which is not too low to abort investment, but not too high that our counterparts, our African nations, cannot purchase. Great transmission and distribution network across Africa. And here I'm touching on accessibility. The African Union and AFTA should make sure that the African Development Bank or now the African Energy Bank, which has been set, should look at it critically. There are countries that are producing excess electricity, and Ghana is an example. This electricity can be sold to its neighboring countries. And we cannot promote EVs, electrical vehicles, electric vehicles, if access to electricity across Africa is not solved first. We can't promote EVs if electricity in Africa remains that expensive to purchase. And therefore, I'm saying the road network gas delivery infrastructure, because gas to power is a key, gas still remains a base load for the African continent. Let's have, therefore, an African Amazon gas price with the understanding that it is a cure to energy transition and, and, and energy poverty to an extent. And therefore, let's also what, strengthen our transmission and, and, and the distribution grain.
1: I was getting ready to ask a question that you actually answered right now uh, in your previous answer about is there the necessary infrastructure in place to actually be exporting energy, you know, around the continent. And I think that you you answered the question and sadly, it, it doesn't seem like that's the case right now. So I'm going to ask the second question that came to mind, which, excuse me if it's a, a bit of a trivial one, but I think that I'm very interested and I, I think those listening would probably be as well. What is the reasoning behind exporting energy abroad when the continent is not you know doing the best job at electrifying itself how 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 do we how do we understand that why is this happening
0: ah laura i i wish i had a answer because i personally have been asking myself this question and i don't seem to have an answer I've asked the same question to so many politicians, so many ministers of energy across the continent. And I've not received the best answer that I'm looking for. Because for me, as an energy economist with petroleum engineering background, I still do not understand the logic in selling raw products and buying finished products at a high price. When you know? A fact that you get value creation by refining your own products, creating jobs, increasing the availability and supply of uh, finished products, and um, having control over the pricing regimes. So, so basically, uh, let's pick Ghana as a case study. I, I remember 2016 as part of my PhD work uh, at Gokoe University oil and gas university i I built an economic model i imagined our 13.3 percent of our crude oil share uh, was not sold as crude oil but it, it was refined here in ghana i also assumed that the royalties were not taken as money but they were taken in place of crude oil and refined here in ghana I mean, we can allow the IOCs to ship their crude oil because they are international oil companies. So you cannot really force them to, to refine their products in your country. But your share, start, start from your share. Because for me, I believe charity begins at home. Show example by proving to the IOC that, yes, you can manage the resources very well, right? And I applied a very simple um, Asian or the Indian Econometrics, all right. And it's been proven by anybody who knows petroleum economics one will let you understand that there's a multiplicator of eight times of the revenue made from crude oil sale to petroleum products. So just multiply the, the crude oil price by eight. This is this is a low brainer for understanding. And this is the profit you're making aside your taxes and all that. When Argos. And when plant prices go up, you can indeed even decrease your price because they are produced locally by local refineries, and you are not spending forex, you understand? And there are so many advantages refining your own products. And for me, the most illogical part of this whole thing is the fact that it is not as if we don't have high demand for petroleum products. We do, Laura. It's a different story if there's no demand for the petroleum products. But there's high demand. High demand. So where, where is the logic? Therefore, at my recent speech that I made at the CYPEC, so the CYPEC is the Sub-Saharan African Energy Petroleum Conference. It happens in Nigeria every year, first quarter. And I said it, I think it's high time Africanism and nationalism have come in because in the spirit of Africanism and nationalism, African energy markets have must be prioritized. In West Africa, I can talk about Nigeria as an energy hub, Ghana as an energy hub, Côte d'Ivoire and Sierra Leone. Would you believe that a country called Mali doesn't import petroleum products? There's a good example to look at. Would you believe that the country called Mali produces crude oil. You don't know. I didn't know suggest just this year. Because they do not export any of their crude oil. They refine every single crude oil in the country. And they feed themselves with the output. So they produce LPG. They produce condensates transferable to gasoline. And they produce gas. lean gas which is used to generate power. They use some of the crude oil also to generate power. And I was shocked. You don't hear Mali as as an oil-producing country because it's not an oil-exporting country. This is the language. They export none, they use everything, and they are very sufficient. So why can't we do it in Ghana? Why can't Nigeria do the same? Nigeria uses just 30% of its natural gas. Everything is, is exported. If a structure to even export the flared gas, is not there. Nigeria flared gas for more than 50 years. And they still flare anyway. But I mean, quantum of it was flared for 50 years. Why couldn't we tap into it? Why couldn't we build it? There were The IOC, the IOCs were still there and they knew Nigeria was flaring gas. If I did them so, they weren't the gas. When Russia, for example, when Qatar, for example, we're monetizing their gas resources. So, I mean, we can go on and on and talk about the hubs. I mean, taking a look at the sub-Saharan Africa. Kenya is a petroleum hub, it's an energy hub. Tanzania should be an energy hub. Mozambique should be an energy hub. But South Africa itself, who is failing Africa brutally, should be an energy hub. Angola should be an energy hub. Rwanda should be an energy hub. Gabon should be an energy hub. Equatorial Guinea should be an energy hub. There's high potential. But you talk about collaboration. Collaboration in creativity, collaboration in teamwork, collaboration in partnership, collaboration in development, collaboration in solutions, and collaboration in communication. Thank you.
1: It was encouraging to hear the Mali case because I think that there are difficult conversations going on about what's, what's not happening the way it should be. But I think that it's also very important to look at some best practices that are happening that we can learn from. And it's especially pleasant when they are African best practices. So it's not like, you know, we're, we're learning all the things from abroad. But no, no, no. We actually have a lot to offer ourselves. What do you think African governments are doing right when it comes to? To, you know, increasing energy access and improving the general energy security situation. Maybe there's some examples similar to the Mali case, um, some some philosophies that you think are serving the African people. What comes to mind when you think about that?
0: Um uh, Laura, sorry to say nothing, Councilman. And um, it's a shame to start with this straightforward um, answer. Uh, apart from the fact that probably we are made to believe that after is going to change the narrative. But yes, there are so many good examples. Of it. And that's why I, I, I spend time to travel across Africa. I was in Namibia recently, Tanzania, Mozambique. I'm spending time to preach the good news. Uh, we cannot solve energy poverty by um, doing ourselves too much harm by selling off our natural resources and not, not refining any of them. I don't see any cure in energy poverty when we are not increasing the national grid, when we are not signing the right deals. When I say that the right deals, the IPPs, that's the individual power producing company that we sign the PPAs with. So when I say PPAs, a power purchase agreement. Then with this, I'm switching to the power sector. And um, we should allow... Uh, all sources of fuel to setting okay we should not limit ourselves to whatever we know Uh, as far as for me like i always say this source of energy is available accessible and affordable let's 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 try our hands on it there are so many words against hydrogen gas i feel probably you're not ready for it but i can be proving wrong As far as it's available, as far as it's accessible, as far as it's affordable, let's try. I think Africa is ready for experiments. Africa has been used for experiments for years by this Western world, not to mention the country's name. We have been used for so many medical energy experiments that we ourselves can also use ourselves for an experiment. So for us, for me, me, I think we should experiment all sorts of energy. And we should give that a chance that if it's blue hydrogen, we do have the sea, we do have the water. If it is electrolysis for countries that are producing more than they are, why not? As far as there's a safe way to transport it, as far as it's affordable enough for purchases, why not? We should also look into our transportation sector because that's another high demand. I, I think I mentioned earlier. And this is what the Ghanaian government is doing and and I believe we we should support that even as a Ghanaian that we are looking at CNG instead of uh diesel and, and petrol or what what you call benzene in Russia and and if CNG can 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 override um diesel again we are solving two things here let's understand why why gas probably is making waves. Why gas is being spoken everywhere you go? Because it's a clean source of energy. Secondly, it's available. It's affordable. And technology to use it is available. Okay, So CNG should be promoted. And that's what Ghana is promoting. And I think and, and Nigerian is also doing that. When it goes to upper, I mean, the, the north part of Africa, most of their trifons are, are on CNG. So CNG coupled with EVs, for me, is a future. And I, I think this is what the African president or African nation should also, also look at. Why am I saying this? And Laura, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Ghana does not produce any car. So if Toyota says, sorry, from next year, I'm going to produce only EVs. We are, we are left to nothing than to buy only EVs cars because if you don't buy, you don't have any car. We don't produce ladder as you guys do, I've seen the new form of ladder that you guys are producing is super, so cool. We don't produce Chevrolet. We don't produce Toyota here in this country. We buy everything. And we are left to the destinies of the manufacturers. So I feel at the point in time, Africa as a continent will be forced to transition. And this is why it is so tough. To fight for just transition. And I I believe in governments, I believe in governments that are trying their best to accommodate this philosophy. All right. And I don't want to mention any country's name so that if, if I let any country out, I'll be attacked. Many, many, many governments are looking into it because again, funding is associated with this implementation plan. IMF are. In because that's where we 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 are now i mean we are not we are not so much independent as as we seem to be when you are being controlled by imf and world bank laura sorry you are not independent and that's where we find ourselves when you you are given money by obeying their philosophy so you even plan a policy you cannot implement it because your funder doesn't like it How many African countries are able to stand on their feet like Rwanda? And I love that man so much for Kigami. Who will stand on his feet and say, no, this is my policy. You buy into it or you leave. I think we are getting there as as a continent. But I praise the African countries that that are stepping ahead with with the principle of understanding that they need to first be independent of themselves before their own policies that they are certain will be allowed to materialize. Mm -hmm.
1: I agree with what you're saying. And I think that just listening to you speak now, I was able to highlight words that I think form a huge part of the foundation of the Africa that Africans are building for themselves and the future of the continent. Independence... Equity and fairness. And I think that it's very important for Africans now to feel like they're in the position to negotiate deals and partnerships and agreements in a way that enhances Africa's development and serves the people of Africa instead of becoming this empty field, you know, for others to sweep in and just to take whatever they want. And I think that a huge part of this conversation brings us back to the concept of FDI, a foreign direct investment. And I think it's quite a a sensitive topic because now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that as Africa moves along, countries are starting to reassess some of the former agreements that they had signed before. And one of the biggest cases in this regard is South Africa, when in 2015 they introduced their new investment law, which reassesses some of the bilateral investment treaties that they had signed right after the apartheid, period when they really needed to do everything that they could to attract foreign investment. And now they're in a better position and they understand that they need to move forward in such a way that the foreign companies and the entities that they're working with are getting a fair deal instead of biting off more than they really should be. And I think that one of the most recent examples is the whole story with the government of Botswana and De Beers With the joint venture Dipswana, where the Botswanan government is like something's not right here. You really are taking way more than seems fair. So, in this regard, what do you think about the way Ghana is structuring its deals and working with foreign entities? Foreign and and not let's not limit this question to the realm of business. Let's let's look at politics as well. Like, how are you acting? As a full independent party in negotiations, just to make sure that Ghanaian national interests are being respected, both in business and beyond.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, thank you so much for that. And um, just to narrow myself to, to, to Ghana and uh, with the understanding that I have, they're not doing bad when it comes to that. Um, Ghana has a very high deposits of of gold, um, as you know, we do have high deposit of of, of bauxite and manganese, and in recent times, um, in case you don't know, uh, we we were exporting this bauxite and manganese as raw materials to China, and uh, this this something we stopped, so we we we, we stopped that, and uh, we intend to build bauxite smelting industry here to at least put in some value into the raw material before it's exported at, at a higher price. Again, this is where we, we drive employment because now the youth unemployment in, in Ghana is rising uh, exponentially because there is no job creation. We've we, been we not, we, we not generating jobs to accommodate these young ones completely from completing universities with the first-class that are turning into uber drivers and 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 yango and drivers from yeah from Anyway, um it, it is is for me it baffles my mind when you meet a very smart guy smart lady on the street trying to make ends meet so for me i'm personally happy with the presidential initiative to um to stop export of manganese and bauxite to, to china i know that the chinese government is not happy because it's going to cut investment to Ghana, but we do have other companies, and we had a company from Russia who came uh, out of the meeting that we're trying to, uh, to, to 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 negotiate a deal where they will help us to smelt this uh, natural resources here and make make value out of it. Another good example that I can I, I, I can bring on board is the commercialization of of the indigenous gas. So. Um, In case you don't know, Ghana is one of the few countries in Africa that monetize its gas, natural gas, from day one. So we prevented flaring and we trapped all the gas, we process it, and that was one of the keys to energy security in Ghana. And that's why we are proud to say that 85% of our population have accessibility to to electricity. By the end of uh, the next five years, we, we anticipate to have about 90 percent plus and and i believe this is doable with the rate at which the government is increasing the transmission grid lines and 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 even the power power generation companies and aside this and we we all understand also now the role of this whole energy transition in um capitalization or probably in, in in funding now every investor wants to see your transition plan before it gives you funding. And I think this is where I really, really second the need for an African energy bank, which will support our just transition um, country by country, depending on what is actually needed. We can have resources uh, for ourselves. And this is, I mean, this this will end me and push me to talk about the fact that Africa needs an African um, denomination, I mean, African currency, where we can borrow among ourselves in, uh, in the forex we control. And I think China, Qatar and Russia have shown the world that US dollars is not the only currency that we can trade with. And we saw the impact on the African tra- on, on, on the global trading market. Um, I still believe that African leaders do have a say and should have a say in how their raw materials are being sold until we learn how to process and produce things in-house. I
1: handle that. I think a huge part of learning to process and produce in house is having the the right minds to do so. And the, the, the qualifications, the, the big experts who will come in and make that all possible. And I think that the foundation of any successful project usually is people. So you kind of you mentioned how you run into youth struggling to make ends meet. And unfortunately, you know, you see rising numbers in terms of youth unemployment. How big of a problem do you think the brain drain is right now in, in Ghana and in Africa in general?
0: Oh, brain-brain. Uh, yeah. ah. <laughs> I don't know how to start with this, this because this, this one is a whole lecture on its own, you know. yeah, it, 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 it is a very sensitive topic and um, we we are not able to cure brain-brain in Africa, in Ghana, in Nigeria, in any other country. It's not anything to write from about. Oh. Um, I was listening to, recently to my own mentor. Our Professor Patrick Lumumba, Kenya, and um, he gave a narrative of a young lady uh, that was drowning in the Mediterranean Sea, trying to export herself to Europe from from Nigeria, and this were her words: "That I rather die here than to go back home." And this is the this is the issue uh, because the natural instinct of any human being is to go home. Pointers bad. This is a young lady who says, "I would rather die here than to go home." What is at home that will kill you faster than drowning in a sea? You know, um, this is when I, 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 I mean, this is where and when I mentioned the issues of unemployment. This was the issue I talk about infrastructure. Infrastructure is not available to consume and absorb the youth that are coming up. Uh, there is so much youth population growing. There is so much urbanization in Africa. Uh, Ghana is not an exception. That neither is Nigeria, even even Moscow. I mean, think about it. Not, I, I would say almost 65% of people in Moscow now are not from Moscow. They're from around Moscow because I, I I had a chance to interact with people. And it is the same narrative here because people are moving out to to look for greener pastures. And it's the same mentality from the low class to the high class. And people ask me, Riverson, you were abroad. Why did you come home? You're doing so well. You used to work for Luke Oil. I mean, you've, you've done so well. I mean, living abroad. Why do you have to come back home to struggle? And I ask them, who told you I'm struggling? <laughs> it's not a um, We don't get offers to, to go out again. We do get offers because at the end of the day, Once I've realized that the oil and gas industry or the energy sector is a global market, you apply the same principle here, everywhere. And uh, why not? Why can't I move out of Ghana? And it's not as if I've never thought about it. Sometimes when I get frustrated, I think about it. So this is when frustration will allow you to look at employment out of your country or out of your continent and move because you feel that the policies are not driven well. You feel like they're not indeed implemented at the right time. There is so much frustration in this country, this continent, that that will drive the youth out. And they see the opportunities. Uh, When you go to the UK now, there are so many Ghanaian doctors. Why are they not working for for their country? For some of them, which I even personally know, were were on government scholarships in Russia and in the US, who the government paid for. And they're supposed to come back home and serve the country, but they are nowhere to be found. These are experts. These are genuinely good doctors I know personally. There is also the frustration of coming back home. It wasn't easy for me to come back home. It took grace for me to get a job in a couple. It is not easy because when you come back with so much expertise, it's not easy to find a job. Yeah. So the issue has to do with those who want to move out of the country and those who are out like myself that I used to be and want to come back home. It's not easy to come back home.
1: Wow. So to end things, I think on a positive note, I ask all of my guests the same question and I want to know what you think too. What do you think about and what do you feel when you think about the future of Africa?
0: As an African, I am born to think positively. As an African, I am born to be proactive. So I don't know how many Africans you've met in your life. Africans are very positive. Even when things are bad and you ask an African, how are you? He will say, I'm fine, even when things are bad. I I remain positive. I I still believe we can do it. We have mentors and great, great, great grandfathers that we we can learn from Dr. Kwame Nkrumah, Patrick Silomumba, Nelson Mandela, just mentioned a few. That we, we we can read their books and read their minds and make sure that Africa becomes good again. We do have the resources. And when I mention resources here, I mean we have the natural resources and we have the human capital. The population of Africa can make a fortune. We have diaspora who are living in the US, in the UK, in Australia who are ready to come back home and change the narrative. They should be given a chance. We should form petroleum and energy hubs across the region that would help us solve our problems. We should have an African market where we decide our supply and demand curves. Where we decide what price to sell our products to within ourselves. We can do better trades. I give you gas, you give me gold. I give you gold, you give me revenue products. We should have such negotiations among ourselves. We should think about setting up a currency which Africa will be proud of buying and trading things for. We are too dependent on the US dollars. We are too dependent of the British pounds. We are too dependent on the European euros. We should have a currency that the world will also depend on. It still baffles my mind when we we produce a product, but we don't have a say in its price. How much is bought, you don't have a say in it. How much you buy the stuff back. So you don't have a say in it. So where? how do you run your economics? How do you run your financial forecast? If these blue ticks are being looked at once again, I believe Africa will be great again.
1: Thank you for your incredibly uplifting message but also for some very specific and very concrete solutions for how Africa can move forward. I think that you brought in practical elements to the conversation, which I think are quite actionable. So I hope those listening will take note and all of your positive expectations will come to life. Thank you so much, Riverson. Thank you so much,
0: Laura, for having me here.
1: Thank you for listening to the Africa Dialogues. This episode was recorded under the Mgimo University Development Program, Priority 2030.